So this week I get to uh, complete the thought that Eric started last week in the series that we're calling And I Will. Uh, it's coming out of Matthew 419. And if you missed his message last week, can I encourage you to go to our website and to check that out. He does a great job with the background of the story, sets the whole thing up. And he reminds us that Jesus promises to do something. Uh, when we choose and we begin to follow him. So we make that choice, we begin to follow, and then Jesus does something. You're going you're to want to catch that if you missed it. So today, again, we're going to finish that thought. And it reminded me of a story that a guy I know, uh, whose name is Dave, uh, tells about a friend of his by the name of Sean Tunstall, who had been a Christian all of his life. Uh, he grew up going to church, but he didn't have a great positive experience, not because of the church, but because growing up, he struggled with ADD and, and being dyslexic, which makes sitting through a church service, you know, even rougher than it is for the rest of us, right? Uh, but so Sean gave up on church and started using his Sundays for one of his great loves, which is water skiing. And the first Sunday, he went out with two of his non-Christian friends. And just before they were to put in, he got to feeling guilty. And so he said, guys, I'm a Baptist, and I'm feeling guilty for not being in church today. So do you mind if I read a, a bit of Scripture first? Well, they weren't real comfortable with that, so he picked the smallest you know, passage he could think of, and he could think of that because you know, he struggled with dyslexia. So he, said, we, uh, so he read that from the Psalms, and he said, we Baptists pray for needs. So does anybody have any needs? And one guy said, well, I lost my job this week. I guess you pray for me. And the other guy said, my grandma's in ICU, and I could really use your prayers there. So Sean prayed for this guy's job. He prayed for that guy's grandma. Then he asked God to bless the day and the boat, and then they went skiing. Well, the following Sunday, those two guys bought a bunch of their friends, and Sean did the same thing with the Bible and prayer. But uh, this time he said, uh, we Baptists like to see if there's any answered prayer requests. And so the one guy said, well, yeah, I got a great job this week. And the other guy said, my grandma is better. She's not in ICU anymore. And he goes, well, does anybody else have a prayer request? And all the hands shot up in the air when he asked. And so uh, they prayed and asked God to bless the day and went skiing. And when Dave told this story years later, he said, they, they now do this weekly. And there's more than 60 of them who come out, have breakfast, read a bit of scripture, pray for each other, take up an offering to give to the poor, and they water ski. And they bring spare parts in case anybody else's boat on the lake uh, breaks down so that they can help them. And Sean said when he was talking about the experience, he said, I think I accidentally planted a church, uh, which is a great story. And I'm all about God doing things in our midst that we didn't realize that he was doing. Uh, and to be clear, he does that here too. Sometimes something turns out way better than we had anticipated that it would. And so we say we backed into it, but what we know is really happening is God's moving ahead of us because we're just not smart enough to figure it out for ourselves. So, uh, but we know what we're supposed to be all about. Paul wrote this to the early church. He said, again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for the battle? And the answer seems to be very few, if anyone will. And this called the trumpet principle goes all the way back into the Old Testament. When they were preparing for battle, they would sound a trumpet to get everybody ready. But even today, we recognize trumpet calls from our military and what they mean. Even if we've never been in the military, we know what they mean. So for instance, I'm going to bet everyone in the room knows this. All right, we, we know what that is. Yeah, what's that a call to? 
Yeah, get up, right, and get moving. My mom used to sing that to us, uh, my twin brother and I, when we were growing up to get us out of bed in the morning. It's time to get up, it's time to get up, it's time to get up this morning. Or if we, you knew exactly what was expected of us when she started singing that, would walk around the house, or she would sing some other song, or she'd ring a cowbell or some, you know, whatever she did to wake us up. But So what is our clear call as a church? Because we want to intentionally be and do who God calls us to be and what he calls us to do. And we get that from Matthew 28. So Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So to be clear, this is the end of Jesus's ministry. Easter happened 40 days ago. Uh, he has appeared to a variety of people over those 40 days, and he is about to ascend into heaven. And so he gathers his followers together on top of a mountain, and he is giving them a clear call for all who would follow him. I want to make sure that you know that if you've decided to follow Jesus, that what he's telling them in this passage, he is saying to you and me as well. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. So that first word go, by the way, uh, in the original language, it doesn't mean you must go. I used to think this was about missionaries, you must go somewhere. Literally, it means as you go or as you are going, like about going about your day, as you go about your day, as you go about your daily routines. And the word nations has nothing to do necessarily with foreign countries. Again, I thought this meant missionaries when I was growing up, but nations is the word ethnos, which just means all people groups. Jesus is saying, don't leave anybody out. So the understanding of what Jesus is calling us collectively as a church and each of us individually, if we're followers of Jesus, he is calling us, he's saying, as you go, don't leave anybody out and intentionally attempt to influence somebody so they become a disciple. Does that make sense? So the question is, what's a disciple? Literally, if you look at the screen, it's the question, right? It's right there. That's the question. What is a disciple, right? So what words would you use to describe a disciple? What would be the definition that you would give? And so I put this in your notes because it's, uh, I want to make sure you take it home. So if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can find our notes for this morning there. But I put this there. It's kind of important how you answer that because we're all supposed to be one and we're all supposed to be helping someone else become one. And so do we all understand what it is that we're shooting at together? Uh, Lynn Aseltine tells that by the time she was on her way to the mall when, with her five-year-old son and her five-year-olds uh, noticed a, an adult bookstore, colorful paint on the outside of the building. And so David asked his mom, what are they doing there? And she kind of hemmed and hauled and stammered for a moment, and she tried to explain that some people do things other than what God wants them to do, and then she rambled on about how important it is that we, you know, do the things that pleases God, and her five-year-old son seemed satisfied with her explanation. Later on, he was riding down the same road with his dad, and he saw the same place, and he said, Daddy, what do they do in that place? And his dad very honestly and very wisely said, David, I don't know, I've never been in there. And the five-year-old said, well, you can ask mom. She knows all about it. <laughs> Listen, I, God does not want his people to wonder what we're supposed to be about, what's supposed to be happening in this place. And we should all have, you know, this one target, not multiple targets that we're aiming at. So what does it mean when, it's, when we say that we are here to help make disciples who make disciples? And so we're going to look back at where we started last week. 
Matthew 4, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, and for clarity, uh, that is Jesus, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so last week, Eric reminded us that first we have to make this decision about who Jesus is going to be in our life. So quick review, a disciple is someone who is following Jesus. That's from Matthew 4.19, what we just read. He said to them, follow me. It's an invitation. It's a two-word invitation that he extended then that he still extends today. And it indicates our acceptance of Jesus, his authority, his truth here between the ears, in our mind, in our brain. Following means that we acknowledge that Jesus is in front and we must place ourselves behind him that he's the one who initiates, he's the one who guides, and he leads and we follow. And if you've been thinking about that, but you're not real sure how to go about making that decision, and we'd love to help you with that. Let me walk you down this path. And for those of you who have already made this decision, I share this occasionally because I want you to be able to, if you've got a friend asking you, you can explain it to them using what I'm about to share. You can draw it on a napkin or a piece of paper at their house. But it all began all the way back in the creation. God created us to have relationship with him. But somewhere along the line, we blew it. And our, sep- our sin caused a separation. And we know where sin comes from. We go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible. Adam and Eve sinned against God, and it separated them. But here's what I know today. My problem with God is not that Adam and Eve sinned. <laughs> My problem with God is that I sin. Your problem with God isn't that Adam and Eve sinned. Your problem is that you sin, and it causes this separation. And since we know it's our fault, we try to get back over to him, and so we try our best to be good enough. So we go to church like we do today, or we have a Bible, or we give money to poor people, or we try not to cuss, or we try to do enough good things so that we can be more gooder than we are badder, and we just keep trying to get back to him, but we get frustrated Because all of us know, we get to this point where we realize we just can't be good enough. We fall short. The good news of our faith is that 2,000 years ago, God sent his son, Jesus, to to help us. You know, and let me back up for a moment. The reason we're trying to fix this is because the Bible says if we don't fix it in our lifetime, it continues into eternity. And that's called hell. It's eternal separation from God and his mercy. And again, the good news of our faith is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and died on a cross, which acts as a bridge that allows us to get back to God. And some of you uh, here this morning, listen, you know that you are separated from God, and you're trying to figure it out. And I appreciate that. You're trying to figure it out. Thank you for letting us be part of that. But you want to get over to God. And everyone, everyone in the room, everyone online either has been or is currently on the far side of the bridge. And the Bible says there's only three things that you need to do to get back to where God is. And the first one is, I need to believe it's true. So Jesus said uh, that God loves the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. So do you believe that Jesus is who he said he is? Do you believe he lived a sinless life? Do you believe he died on the cross? And that's why we celebrate Easter. And three days later, he raised from the dead. Because if you believe that, you're ready for step number two, which is I need to, you don't have to, it's not like you have to know everything, but if you know that much, you're ready for step two, which is I need to repent, which means I own this. My sin is my 
problem, my fault, not someone else's fault. It's not my mom's fault. It's not my cousin's fault. It's not my spouse's fault. It's not even my kid's fault. I own this. Acts 3 says, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, obliterated. It's as if they were never there. That's what God does with them. And the third step is to be baptized. Acts 2 tells us that when we are baptized, that somehow that is tied into the forgiveness of our sins and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And so what I'd like you to do is just be real honest about where you are in that picture. All of us. Again, everyone in the room, everyone online, right? We are all somewhere. There's no one that's not in that picture. We're all there somewhere on one side of the cross or the other. And if you want to talk about that uh, afterwards this morning, I'll be right up front, be glad to talk to you about how to make that move. But I also want you to get this, and this is super important. No one who has made that decision to follow Jesus, no one who has committed themselves to following him, did it on their own. God had someone in your life who helped you get there to make that decision to follow him. Check your story. Someone helped you get there, which is why Jesus said in verse 19, as you go, don't leave anybody out and intentionally attempt to influence someone so that they can become a disciple. When Paul was writing to the early church, he said it this way, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What someone has done to help you, don't you know someone who has never made that decision? They may not even know that Jesus loves them. Don't you know someone that you love who needs the help of someone that they trust to influence them so that they too can become a disciple of his? Listen, someone who can say, listen, I'm not perfect. I'm not claiming that in any way. You know me too well for me to make that kind of claim. But what I am telling is you can follow me as I follow the example of Christ. (laughs) I'm not always going to get right. But when I'm following his example, I follow my example. And I know, I know, I know, I know that's easy for me to say because I'm paid to be a follower. I have to be good. I get a paycheck for being good, right? But I want to say this, that what has been true of me has also been true of you. I don't like to think about some of the places I've been in my life. I don't like to think about some of the ways I've treated people in my life. I don't like to think of some of the thoughts I've had in my life. But there are people who have always known me. They knew me then, and they know me now. And they know that following Jesus doesn't just stop with with just saying, I'm going to follow. That following Jesus also means that a disciple is someone who is being changed by Jesus. It's not just that I made this decision to follow. I'm actually asking him to change me to be more like him. It's what Jesus said next, and I will make you. He offers this invitation to follow, and if, 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 if we accept his invitation, it's those next three words that are crucial for us, because Jesus says, if you'll accept this invitation, I will. Jesus invites We accept, and then he promises to do something. It's not us trying harder. It's not me doing my best. It's he promises to change us. It's more than just what we know. It's who we're becoming in the process, because even though Jesus loves you right where you are, even though he accepts you right where you are, he loves you too much to leave you there. 
That's why Micah 4, we read this, he will teach us his way so that we may walk in his paths. Ray Steadman said this, it's on the notes for today. In the eyes of the world, it's not our relationship with Jesus Christ that counts, it's our resemblance to him. I have this sign on my door up in my office that says when it comes to Jesus, people are looking for a demonstration, not an explanation. They want to know, does it make a difference in our lives and how we live our lives? But it doesn't stop with what you know and who you're becoming. A disciple is committed to the mission of Jesus. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fisher of men. They've been fishers of fish. And now Jesus is going to make them into fishers of men. That's his mission. Jesus said, the son of God came to seek and save that which was lost. Can I just say, if that's what you want MCC to be all about, that's what each of us have to be all about as well. When we spend time with Jesus, we begin to see things differently. We, we begin to uh, care about what really matters. We look at people differently. We don't judge them. We care about them, and we reach out to them in love. By the way, that's our trumpet call. And I wanted to be real clear this morning. It's our call to action is to be a disciple who follows Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. So when you came in, you should have received something like this. If you did not receive this when you came in, you will receive one when you leave. Uh, if our folks in the lobby will have these, and just please make sure you catch them, goes on your refrigerator or something, it's a magnet that has this definition of a disciple. Because truthfully, part of what do I want to accomplish this year is for all of us to understand this the exact same way. We all have the same idea of what it means to follow Jesus and to know what he is calling us to and to know that this is what we as a church are shooting at. And for as many who are willing, they will reach for it. Because this is about God helping people find their way back to him, having their forever changed. And this is the mission of the church and it's the mission for each of us who are followers of Jesus. And this is why Jesus said to his followers, here's your mission. And as you go, don't leave anyone out. Make disciples of everyone. And can I tell you, I think this is where we kind of get hung up on this. I read an article by a guy named Kerry Newhoff, uh, and I think he hit the nail on the head. Because he said, for many of us, Jesus commanded us to make disciples, not be disciples. The way we talk, he said, you'd think he called us to be disciples. He commanded us to make disciples. The Great Commission, which we looked at a moment ago, do you remember? It says, go and what? I'm sorry, go and what? Make disciples. Is it possible that it's the very act of helping someone else follow Jesus, helping our friends make this decision to follow him and be changed by him and be committed to the mission of Jesus that we actually become more of who Jesus designed for us to be? And this is where I say, and this is going to be painful for some to hear, and it may even sound a little bit hateful, but it's a whole lot easier to just go to church than it is to follow Jesus. It is a whole lot easier to just give an hour a week to go to church than it is to actually live your life moment by moment following his lead. And every week you hear us talk about living on mission. Listen, we don't gather together just so we can flex our spiritual muscles. We don't gather together just to impress each other by quoting Bible verses. We don't come together even just to learn how to change our behavior. 
we come together because we want to live more like Jesus. And the more we live like him, the more we will want to reach a world who does not know him. And in the name of Jesus, we will begin to change not just this part of the world, but we'll change the whole world just by doing that. Before Jesus can use you and I to change the world, we have to allow him to change our world. So for some today, living on mission means making that decision to follow Jesus and making your commitment to him through your baptism. Yesterday morning, Kaylee came over and baptized her cousin, Chloe. And maybe you've got a, a cousin, a friend, someone you go to school with, someone you're a neighbor with. Man, they just need someone that they can trust who's going to show them how to do this. Some of us in the room, we've already made that commitment to him. Today, today, you need to decide if you're going to be a disciple who makes disciples, because it doesn't stop with you. God will reach through your life into the life of someone who knows you. I have heard it said, and I love the saying, the gospel came to you because it was headed to someone else. Just like the gospel came to somebody else because it was headed to you. And now that it's got to you, it's headed to someone else, and it's going to get there through you. Paul said it this way, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. When we walk into a room, the aroma of Jesus, the perfume of Jesus, when we walk into the room, the presence of Jesus walks in because of us. And we are the aroma of Christ. To people who are already saved, they pick up on it immediately. And those who are not, they notice there's something different. And so every week we stop to remember the cost that not only saved our lives, but that allows us to be who Jesus uses to reach into the lives of the people that we are connected to. And so through our time of communion, we pledge ourselves to him again. We pledge to follow him to be changed by him, and we recommit ourselves again to the mission of helping others come to him just like he used somebody to reach us. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a moment where you can talk to God about where you are in that whole process and commit yourself to him, and then we'll take communion together.